Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. I need your help. If you love this podcast, you will love my children's book. It's called Princess Charming, and I am really trying to drum up pre-order sales. You might not know this, but before a book comes out is actually a really important time for the whole book's trajectory. So please pre-order Princess Charming, which comes out April 19th today. Just stop what you're doing and go do that, please. When it arrives on April 19th, you can give it to a loved one in your life, a niece, a grandchild, a child, a student, a kid walking by on the street, anybody. But if you could do this, here is my offer. If you email me your receipt showing me that you bought the book online somewhere and pre-ordered it, email info at zibbyowens.com. That's info at zibbyowens.com. And I will pick 10 people to do a special giveaway project award to from my new Bonfire merch store, which you should also check out, which is um, the Zibby Owens Media Bonfire store where you can get all sorts of cool t-shirts and uh, tote bags and author sayings and all sorts of great stuff. So what did I say? 10 of you are going to get a special care package of your choice from the Bonfire store. And I will pick at random from all of you who pre-order the book. So if that wasn't clear, 
Go pre-order Princess Charming. Again, it's called Princess Charming. It's my debut picture book. It's really cute and great, and it's illustrated by Holly Haddam. And then after you get the receipt, screenshot it or forward it to me at info at zibbyowens.com, and you will be entered to win one of 10 exciting care packages. So go off and order. Thank you so much. Bye. Rachel Berenbaum is the author of Atomic Anna, a novel. Her debut novel, A Bend in the Stars, was named a New York Times Summer Reading Selection and a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writer Selection. It was also a Boston Globe bestseller. Rachel is a prolific writer and reviewer whose work has appeared in the LA Review of Books, the Tel Aviv Review of Books, Lit Hub, and Dead Darlings. She is an honorary research associate at the Hadassah Brandeis Institute at Brandeis University and is a graduate of Grub Street's Novel Incubator. She is the founder of Debut Spotlight and the debut editor at A Mighty Blaze. In a former life, she was a hedge fund manager and a spin instructor. She has degrees from Harvard in business and literature and philosophy. She lives in Brooklyn, Massachusetts. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for coming back on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Atomic Anna. And I was actually just looking at a bend in the stars. Where is it? Anyway, I was like, I was like, oh, I'll just hold it up at the same time, but I didn't. But anyway, it's right behind me. I love talking to you about that book, and I'm excited to talk to you about this book. Thank you, Zibi. Thanks so much for having me back. I'm a huge fan. You know oh, that. I'm a huge fan of you, of yours. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Tell listeners what Atomic Anna is about, please. And how did you come up with the idea for this book? (laughs) So Atomic Anna is the story of three generations of women from one family who work together and build a time machine to stop Chernobyl. That's the surface. But really what it's about is healing their family and uh, going back to find a way forward. Very cool. Okay. The time machine element of the story. It's like back to the future sort of, you know, Chernobyl style, if you will. Yes. And how did you come up with this? How did you keep it all straight when people were in which time zone? Then you had like different nicknames for people when they would go back and forth and Molly and Ma- Manya, Manya, Maria, Manya, Manya, anyway, Manya, Manya and, Molly. and yes. even the idea that someone could travel through space and see their child and granddaughter and then like have to leave. And oh my gosh. Anyway, where, like explain. Please. I know. Okay. So there are a lot of questions in there. So I think I'll start. No, it's great. I love it. Spend the next half an hour answering them. That's fine. (laughs) I love it uh, because it means that you read it so carefully and I really appreciate it. So I guess the first question that I love to talk about is where the idea came from. So Chernobyl itself, the disaster happened when I was little. And yet I remember so clearly the moment that I was standing in front of the television right? That's how we got news then, right? Like yes. seven o'clock I, I remember those days. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. So I just remember standing there looking at these pictures and hearing these stories and it just, it cut so deep. I was so upset, even though I was little. So I've always sort of watched it from the side. And then at the 30th anniversary, lots of magazines, newspapers, right? News outlets were doing all kinds of retrospectives and looking back and where is Chernobyl today in Pripyat, the closed city where people lived who worked at Chernobyl. And so that sort of just got into my brain and I was thinking about that. And at the same time, I've always been obsessed with this question of of time. What is time? From Bend in the Stars, I'm the same obsession, right? It's always there. It's a construct that we've invented. And Einstein very famously has said, there's no difference between the past, the present, and the future. 
So all that sort of jumbled together with Back to the Future, right? That came out just a year before Chernobyl happened. And I don't know, I spit out Atomic Anna, it just came to me. But although I'm spending a lot of time talking about Chernobyl now, and like, right, we t- I talk about it when I pitch, give the logline, it's really only a few pages of the book because what it's really about is the question of if we can go back and change time, should we? Should we do that, right? That is a moral, ethical question. And I talk about a time machine being the worst, you know, cruelest weapon ever built, right? Because nobody would even know if you'd gone back and changed time and erased lives. So it's really about this question of should we and then regret because you only think about changing the past because of regret. And you do that because you want to heal something in the future. So that's really what it's about and what I really spent my time you know, thinking about and working through and writing. So there is this really fun, you know, time travel and Chernobyl. Well, Chernobyl's not fun, but time travel element. But it really, the book is much heavier and the sections are much more about how do you heal mother-daughter relationship? You know, how do you find love? And how do you find that future that, that you want? Well, there was also this moral question that you posed, which is, should you save many lives or should you do what your daughter needs from you right in the moment? And how do you balance those? And what's more important? And how, like, how do you prioritize the life that's sort of dependent on you versus the ones you are indirectly responsible for? What do you do in a scenario like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wrestle with that a lot, you know, thinking about that. I think that I I wish we talked about it more because I think it is a real dilemma. Even when we're here in COVID, right, two years in and we're talking about, you know, the benefit or the good that, you know, I can provide for my one child by doing X versus what can we do for the greater good of Y? This is a bigger question. Do you, do you save your immediate family versus, you know, millions of people? So my character struggles with that in terms of does she save her granddaughter and her daughter versus all the people who are at Chernobyl? And I pose that question. So I'm, I'm so glad you picked that up because I think it is a really important question. There is no right answer, of course, but it is something I think that we think we should think more about in terms of what we do every day. I mean, even on a smaller scale, right? I have twins and you walk into the room when they're babies. And if both of them are crying, it's like, which one do you pick up first? Right? How do you judge which one needs you more? Because you physically can't like scoop them together, right? So I think that's on a smaller scale, the same question of which need do you tend to first? And it's it's very hard. I as a fellow mom of twins, relate completely. And I think I usually just pick up the one screaming louder, which is probably the <laughs> wrong answer. But I guess it's like what need seems even more pressing, right? So. Right, right. And then sometimes you might look back or I do and it's like, oh, I should have gotten the other one because yeah. actually the other one was really hurt, yeah. right? Or, and so again, there's that idea of regret. Yeah. I think it's just natural for us to always think about, you know, relive what we had done and think about how could we change that. And that's really what my characters are struggling with. How could they have done something better and different in the past in order to make a better future? I also love how you give women so much agency, right? That there weren't comic books necessarily with women at the center of the story. And here comes Anna making this whole sort of Marvel creatures line with Atomic Anna as this superstar and how that is the way that she finds to really exert control over some uncontrollable universe around her. So talk about about that. 
Yeah, so one of the main characters, sort of the middle generation, is Molly in America. Her name is Molly. She was born in the Soviet Union as Manya. So there we go to the dual names. But she becomes a comic book artist. And I love writing strong women characters and books with women at the center because that's what I love to read. That's what I love to be around, right? I love strong women. So that's what I write. And, you know, when I look around for things for my characters to do, I love comic books. And the comic book world is so deeply male. And there's this one historian, Trina Robbins. She was also a comic book artist. She's sort of the the mother of, I guess, comic books and the one who's done the most work on researching women in comics. And, you know, I've spoken to her and been in touch with her. And traditionally, comics show women who are being saved by men. They're being thrown into refrigerators. I mean, I don't know where that comes from, (laughs) right? But that seems to be a common trope. Or they're fighting over men as the center. And so when I wrote Atomic Anna and I really dug into the comic book world for Molly, my character, who expresses herself through these comics, you know, I really tried to break that mold and create these characters who were the kind of women that I wanted to see that I, you know, and that I think they wanted to be. And in terms of why she's a comic book artist, you know, what I really wanted to show. So I have the first generation is Anna and she is a scientist And then I have, who actually I have her engineering and designing Chernobyl itself and the first atomic bomb for the Soviet Union. And then I have Molly, the artist. And then I have Molly's daughter, Reza, who is another scientist, more on the math side, more of a physicist. And the three of them come together, but they're all three brilliant, but I show that they see the world in different ways. You can be brilliant as an artist because you see the way that light interacts or circles come together to form shapes versus if you're a mathematician, You see that in terms of numbers and define it with numbers versus colors. And so I really spend a lot of time focusing on those parts of the characters because I I love that idea that we all see the world so differently. And so that's why I tried to put that into the book. And yet you have to come together and like have a normal conversation. Right. I feel like this happens at every table with like a mom and a grandmother and a granddaughter. And you're like, what? Like, this is how you did things? This is like, what? You know, yes. <laughs> so it's yes. universal. Yes. And my characters spend a lot of time fighting, right? Because Molly's parents don't want her to be an artist. They want her doing math. And she's like, but I don't see the world that way. And then she doesn't want her daughter Reza doing math because she thinks that's a waste. And, you know, she was, she hated having to do math. So, you know, I love those dynamics and I love putting them in the same room and fighting because I think that's so real, right? And how do you deal with that? And you have this whole inherited trauma situation, right? Where one of them, which character sleeps with their boots on because they're convinced that like pogroms are coming to America and they don't want to celebrate. They didn't used to be able to celebrate Shabbat openly. And so now here they are in America. And finally they're like bringing out the challah and lighting the candles. And it's, it's almost like they're taking all of this Jewish history and persecution for religion and nationality and all of this, and then trying to make sense of it through the new generations, which I also found fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, I think trauma is inherited and passed down, right? I mean, I can think of things that my grandparents did that, you know, maybe sound crazy, but they're definitely still in my head, right? Like always having a passport ready to go and enough money in order to pay for a ticket out of wherever you are, right? That was like ingrained in me for my entire life. And so (laughs) that is inherited from two generations ago, and yet we still talk about it in the family. And so I do have that in, in the book. Anna is the character 
character, uh, the first time we meet her, she's sleeping with her boots on because she's so terrified that she's going to have to run and she wears them her whole life. She won't take her boots off when she's sleeping. And it's just a, you know, a detail to bring out this idea that we don't really escape that past, but Also, I wanted my characters to find a way to move forward with it, right? So that her daughter and her granddaughter are saying to her, you could take your boots off. Like we could move forward, right? I acknowledge that you're still sleeping with them, but how about we move forward? And I think it does take a few generations to really push past and and see where that, you know, where that can take you. Totally. This is so cinematic, right? I could just see it all unfolding. Have you started with the optioning process? Do you have any news or anything you can share? Because I feel like this is destined for screen adaptation. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's like a dream, right? So if you know anyone or listeners, you know anyone, let me know. But I am working with WME. I have two film agents and it is beginning to make the rounds. So fingers crossed. (laughs) We'll see what happens. I have very high hopes because it literally felt like, like I could just see it. It's almost like not the hunt for red October because I haven't seen that in probably 30 years or something, but it just makes me feel maybe the red or something of the year cover and that and Russia and I don't know, something. So yeah. I love that you say that because in my head as I'm writing books, I see them, right? I see every scene like a movie and I see every character and I know them and I can describe them because I see it that way. So I'm so excited when (laughs) readers say like, it felt like a movie because I feel like then I was able to translate all these crazy ideas in my head, right? Onto the page and to transmit them to you. So thank you. I'm glad you saw my scene. No problem. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How did you deal with, like, did you outline this whole progression? This, it seemed, it was complicated too, in a good way. I mean, in a good, interesting way, but in a way where I was thinking like, how is she keeping all of this straight? Like, this is a lot of interactions and twists and turns and all of that. So how do you set out to do it? And how much did you know about the plot when you started it? 
Yeah. So this is a tough question to answer because the book started in one way, right? And I had it sort of outlined, but then it had took on so many different iterations. So actually one of the very last scenes that I write where Anna goes back in time to the moment when her mom is arrested, she'd been protesting during the Russian revolution, was one of the very first scenes that I ever wrote. And I thought that was where the book was going to start, actually. So I guess it's not a spoiler to say it is now one of the very last parts of the book. <laughs> but, it, but it has just changed around so much. And when you're doing time travel, you can do that, right? You can shoot people around. So I, you know, started in finance. So I really love Excel and spend a lot of time in Excel. So I have these Excel spreadsheets with, you know, character, date, event, right? And emotions are sort of my columns. And I move them around a lot. It was very complicated getting, wrapping my head around sort of the character growth as you go through time. And sometimes I had to write it as a straight arrow and then I could break up the chapters and put them back, you know, back into the pieces. So that, that was tough. I had a brilliant, brilliant editor, Seema Mahanian at Grand Central, who was very good at helping me, you know, keep track of where we were. And I think actually the hardest part was each of the chapter headings starts with, you know, it will give you the time, like 11 months until Molly dies on Mount Aragots. So, you know, from day, the very first page, that this is the event the whole book is leading up to. And I actually struggled a lot with how to communicate that. Like at first, my chapters were, you know, 11 months, three days, 56 hours, you know, 23 hours and 16 seconds, right? I was like trying to calculate down to the second, the time until Molly died. And it was just getting too complicated. So really, we just sort of shaved that down, shaved that down and made it easier and easier and just said, you know, 11 months, that's good enough until Molly dies. Wow. Okay. If you could go back in time, where where would you land? You know, people ask this a lot and I have to say that I really, I don't want to go back. I hate asking questions that people ask a lot. I'm sorry. I feel like a total failure now. (laughs) Thank you. No, no. I mean, it's a good question because I think we ask ourselves that all the time, but, and I've obviously thought about it a lot. And my answer is I don't want to go back. I'm happy with my decisions. Sure, there are things I regret. There are things I wish I had done better. But like my characters, I have come to the point in life where, you know, I think it's time to go forward and to say, I'm sorry if I need to say I'm sorry to change what I need to change and just keep going. So, So that's where I am. It took a long time to get there, by the way. But that's where I am. I always, I used to wish that I lived in the time where like very like voluptuous sort of heavier women that was like praised, right? Like in the Rubens, Rembrandt, I don't know, back in the, I don't even know when that was, 1800s, maybe 1700s or that was like, you know, as opposed to, anyway, so I used to wish that, I don't wish that anymore. Then I used to wish that. uh, I love that image of you in a painting eating grapes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that not horrifying anybody by what I looked like. And I also used to want to go back to like the 1950s because I really love A-line skirts. And I feel like that would make my wardrobe really easy. Like I love all those outfits, right? Just like button down, like shirt dresses and, you know, maybe a little apron around my waist or something, just swishing around the kitchen. Like I feel like I would have done well back then without so much (laughs) stimulation. You know, I could just read and you know, do whatever and write and, you know, pretend I'm like Irma Bombach or somebody. 
<laughs> I hear you. I know. But then the problem is in my head, like I'll start to think, you know, I'll be like, yes, but that's only a flash second. Like the reality is, right. I wouldn't be able to work or I wouldn't be able yes. to right, do yeah. anything or I don't know. Then I get caught up in my head and I'm always like, okay, I'm okay here. I'm happy yes. here. I'm happy to be my age right now. Yes. Yes. But it's hard. It is hard, right? Because you think you it, you can always look at other lives, even in present day and be like, wouldn't it be easier if I just did this, right? Or if I just did that. But then, you know, it takes that work. And I think it's worth it to say, but I am what I am. And I have to, right? Take yep. myself for who I am and who I've become and my decisions for better and for worse. True. So I just keep reminding myself that. <laughs> So not only are you whipping out these very like dense in a good way, you know, plot intensive, awesome, multi-timeline books, but you're constantly interviewing authors and lifting them up and all of that too. So tell me about that aspect of your life. Yes. Thank you. So like you, I love writers, right? I cannot get enough of talking to them, asking them for advice, hearing about their new books. And yeah, so I interviewed them. I started this podcast, Debut Spotlight, particularly to focus on debut authors because there's so much energy in a debut, right? And sometimes I feel like I talk to authors who are on their sixth or seventh book and they're a little more jaded, you know, and, and I get it and they've earned their stripes and, you know, they know a lot, but the debut authors, you know, it's also that, that struggle to get published. What did it take today is so different even from when I published my first book, which was only 2019, right? It's not that far long ago. So I love it. And I just love, you know, being a part of the whole book community and meeting all these authors and, and reading and reading and reading. I feel like the best way to learn how to write and to write better books is just to read everything you can from all over the world, right? Like all, all over. And it's just, it's amazing. It's funny when you were talking about debut versus more established authors, it just, it's so similar to first time moms versus moms of multiple kids, right? The first time mom needs all this support and it takes a lot to get there and all this anxiety and you're not sure what's going to happen. And then by the time you get to like your fourth kid, you're like, okay, I got it. I know what I need to do. And I, yes. Not that each one isn't exciting and amazing and unique, right? Just right. like kids, but right. the way you come at it is a little bit different. And of course, you keep getting better the more experience you have in any in any area. So I yeah, you get better, but also sometimes I just find that this energy is missing, mm-hmm. right? This pure gratefulness that the world is finally listening to my words and my crazy ideas, right? And I just love that about debuts and. Uh, Although I love, love, love the ideas that some of the more established authors are putting out, right? Like I devour their books. Yes, I sometimes just don't see it as much in the interview itself. So that's why I'm really focused on debuts. And I just, I love them. And I want to see more more voices out there, more diverse books, more Mm -hmm. new ideas. And uh, yeah, so I'm hooked. You get it. But you're not a debut author now and you still have all the energy, all the feels, everything. So, you know, there are exceptions to the rule. I think I soak it up from the debut authors that I talk to, right? Maybe you could launch a second one, like sophomore, sophomore, I don't know, something with an S, right? It's funny you say that because, you know, now a bunch of the authors are coming out with their second books and they're all coming back to me and sending them. And I'm like, oh yeah, I loved your first book. Of course I want to interview you again. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I've been, I struggled with what to do about that too on my podcast because 
at first I was like, oh no, I'm only going to have people on once because I want to get to know them. But then everyone's like, well, here's my next book. And I'm like, well, I don't want to not help you on your next book. Right. So anyway, I decided that was a stupid rule and I got rid of it. <laughs> I started having people back on because they kept writing really great books. So I'm trying yes. to do like a, you know, 75% new, 15% or 25% old repeat authors and generally, right. but of course none of the math really translates, but... <laughs> But that is true. I mean, I feel like there's also a huge difference between authors who have it more as like a, a, like, this is what I do when I write a book a year authors versus like, here's my second book. And this one took me seven and a half years. And you know what I mean? Like there's a, a slight difference for the people who take it like a, you know, just like another job and this is what they do and they crank. Not yeah. that the books are any less good necessarily, but just it's a different approach. Yeah. I'm in awe. And I, and I, I love talking to them too, because they're like machines, right? Mm -hmm. And they have these big, brilliant ideas, but then they just, you know, they're like, this is how I earn my living. This is how I'm going to pay my rent. And I'm going to sit down and write this book every year. And, you know, I think some people don't realize that writers also need to pay our rent, right? Or mortgage or whatever, right? For nannies, babysitters, whatever it is. And, you know, it is a business and we have to make money. And, and, you know, I think that a lot of those writers who are doing a book a year have that unspoken pressure of, mm-hmm. you know, I need to make the money and they still write these brilliant books. And it's yeah. amazing. Not to say writers that are doing every seven years don't need the money in the same way, but, you know, I find that a lot of them, you know, putting books out a lot, it, you know, we end up talking about that, mm-hmm. right? The life of a writer. It's funny. Somebody, my co-founder of Zivi Books, Lee Newman, we were talking to, I think it was an aspiring author, somebody who'd pick, I don't know, somebody... And they said, are these like, which of your authors are just authors? And, and Lee, I remember leaving, like, nobody is just an author anymore. Like nobody can afford to do that. Like everybody teaches, everybody, you know, does something else or freelances or something because it's, it's, it's very hard to cobble it together with just that. So. Right. It is right. Cause you've got to do a book a year because yeah. if you're not publishing, you're not getting paid. Yeah. So it's, you know. It, that is hard to do a book a year. I, I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, each book is so much, it's just the time to write it is one thing. Like you could whip it out in three months even, but then you have all the editing and then all the marketing and the publicity and all of that. I don't know. It's a lot, but just copy know. edits. I feel like I spent yeah, three months copy on edits. copy edits, mm-hmm. right? Finding things like I send my character to the bathroom two times in one paragraph, right? <laughs> These little details that you just can't have in a final draft. They just totally. takes a lot of time. I literally think I just did my like 18th round or something for my memoir. I'm like, this is like never gonna, I'm like, and they're finally like, we can't do any more changes. And I'm like emailing, wait, just add this one more thing. Yeah, it's like the endless, but- Ultimately, that's why each book is like a team effort, right? And yes. that's why that's why some of the aspiring authors feel discouraged because they're like, whoa, it comes out just like this. And you're like, well, this is not my first draft, right? <laughs> right. This is so. 500. Actually, so I had one of a more junior editor, Carmel Shaka at Grand Central, who went through Atomic Anna, an earlier draft. And she just went like line by line by line, like, this is the wrong time period, right? Mm-hmm. This only, this happened five years after <laughs> this happened, right? And she wouldn't have been wearing this skirt in 1990. You know, these little details that you just need help with, you know, this team effort to get, even though I, as the author, have the big idea and the big characters, you could say, right? Mm-hmm. It still mm-hmm. takes this whole group of people to shepherd me through to say like, no, your character went to the bathroom twice in this paragraph. <laughs> like, 
that can't happen. So I'm yeah. just this last person just came in and edited mine. And I was like, oh, this person is good. Like, <laughs> she's right. Like, this wasn't supposed to be here. And, you know, yes. that wasn't the right book or whatever. I'm like, thank God for other people helping. <laughs> yes. Yes. And copy editors, I swear, yeah. they are amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Under-celebrated, but so essential. Yes. So what's your what's your next book? I'm assuming you're not on the one book a year train, but what do I know? Maybe you just picked <laughs> up the pace and there's another one coming around the corner. I'm not on the one book a year train, but I am finishing up a draft of my third book. So we will see what happens. But that again, of course, has a very smart woman in the middle who is very good with numbers and actually is headed to Wall Street and she will be a stock trader, but then is thrown off course. So Ooh. yes. What, so what era? Um, it's about the year 2000 it starts. Okay. So. Getting closer and closer. Yes. Yes. <laughs> getting closer. And yet I still find myself reaching back to mothers and grandmothers, right? I don't know. She still is very much in, in touch with her great grandmother. And I think because I had such a strong great aunt, my own grandmother died when I was very young and her sister was sort of like my grandmother and that great aunt was such a strong presence in my life. She was there all the time. And I feel like I I'm finding I can't write a character without thinking about her, like having her in there because those women's voices are in my head, right? And go out there and be strong, be a strong woman and, you know, make your way in the world. And that's what I want for my daughter, for my characters, right? For my books. So they'll be there again. Wow. Amazing. I love it. Well, I feel like we've already given lots of advice for aspiring authors, but is there one parting piece of advice or... (laughs) This is my favorite question to ask authors, by the way, because it's amazing the range of answers that you get, right? I agree. I learn something every single time. Exactly. Exactly. So I always tell people my advice is you should write six days a week and writing could include time where you're taking a walk, thinking through a conversation, right? How is this going to work? It doesn't actually mean sitting at your computer. Although I do think you should at least open your file, right? At least five days a week and look at that book. And then I just think everyone should read seven days a week. If you want to be a writer, don't tell me you don't have time to read. Because if you're not reading, like who's reading, right? Yeah. So before we go, I just want to show you, because this is my first interview for this book. Check out my new, I know, check out my new pictures behind me. So in the top, this is actually the cosmic ray station, the real one that's on Mount Aragots. Yeah. And this amazing uh, National Geographic photographer did this whole special. And I was actually in touch with him and he gave me permission to put his pictures on my website. This is his at the top there. And so, you know, when I talk about Anna being in her tower around the cosmic ray station, this is what inspired them. It's a real place. Like, can you believe the Soviet Union built that and put people up in those towers to study cosmic rays? It's like, unbelievable. So I have this picture. And then also I'll move over even further. These are the computers that Anna was using to build her time machine. Unbelievable. I showed this to my kids. I was like, can you imagine that was like a really super powerful computer? And it's probably not as powerful as the calculator you have right now. (laughs) (laughs) And yet this is what Anna used to build her time machine. Like this, this is what she had. And this is actually taken from inside the uh, cosmic ray station. This is the computing power that they had. So 
I just love these photos and I do a lot of research through looking through archives and old photos. So I just wanted to show them to you because I think they're awesome. More powerful than the calculator that my daughter dropped this morning and went skittering in all these different pieces across the kitchen floor. And and she's like, it's fine. I was like, I cannot order you another calculator. (laughs) You know, these calculators are like, you know, it's ridiculous. But anyway. Yes, I know. Right. And yet look at this, a whole room of computers. Yeah. And it couldn't, it could not do what that calculator did. Insane. You know, it broke on your kitchen floor. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Rachel, thank you. This was so fun. I'm so excited for you for this book. I mean, it's, it's bold and awesome and the cover is awesome and thank it's you. just really exciting. So my uh, first Kirkus star. Yay. <laughs> I can't wait to see what happens with launch and everything. I'll be following closely and can't wait. So Zippy, thank you so much for having me. I always love chatting with you and I just love how much you support authors and books and how you built this amazing community. So thank you for letting me be a part of it. I could say the same for you. So thank you. (laughs) All right. Have a great day, Rachel. Thanks. You too. Bye, Zippy. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.